You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Hi. Hello. This is Voluntary Vixens, and this is our first episode, and this is our intro episode, so we're just going to talk about three things today. Um, First, we're going to talk about why we podcast. Oh, you know what? Let's introduce ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jesse, and this is... My name is Maddie. So why do we, why do a podcast? Um, I think we first talked about why we want to do a podcast is because um, we're both women. And of course, as most people who are in the liberty movement know, it's a sausage party. So it's nice to have a couple women around and giving their perspective on the liberty movement every once in a while. So that's why we're doing a podcast. Uh, I would agree that with that. As much as, you know, I love a good sausage party from time to time, um, you do need that, uh, the balance. I think, um, you know, men and women evolve together. We should be in these movements together. And um, I think just because that it seems on the outer appearance, maybe, that there aren't any female libertarians, that there aren't any women in this liberty movement, I think that's one, inaccurate. And then two... You know, okay, so maybe it should, it's a perception that uh, we should work on fixing. And I think it's definitely gotten better. And, um, you know, I know I've found a lot of female camaraderie in, in here. And um, so, okay, maybe I've had to find all these friends of mine on the internet because maybe we are that few and far between. So, like, for context, anybody listening, mm-hmm. Jesse and I have never met in person. But you know what? Here we are. Gotta love technology. <laughs> yeah. So, that's kind of, you know, what we're what we feel like we're bringing to the table here. Yeah. I think the big thing that we want to accomplish with the podcast too, is not just to bring a female voice to the whole thing, but also to make aware to everyone that the philosophy of Liberty, the philosophy of voluntarism is something that everybody can benefit from, not just being a white male, but women, minorities, anybody from any religion, can adopt this philosophy and it doesn't interfere with your life. So it's something that I think more people are probably more voluntarism background than they realize. So we're just going to talk about that. That's what we want to do is, you know, just highlight those issues and talk about it. And maybe people will realize that there's something good about it. I would also say, you know, why, it might not sound as appealing to other people is because of a good deal of propaganda against us. The simplest, shortest, easy to understand point is that libertarianism in particular is, you know, involuntarism. They're philosophies of peace. Yeah. The whole idea behind them is that we're not to aggress upon peace, otherwise peaceful people. So we're not for outward forms of violence against peaceful people. And, you know, just basically following the golden rule, things we learn as children, things we do in our daily interrelationships with anybody you meet on the street, whether that you think they're a libertarian or whether you think they've voted for Donald Trump or whether you think they voted for Hillary Clinton. You know, chances are nobody would agree with who I voted for, 
So, but I can't live my life like that. And I don't think other people can too. And so if we can kind of use this as a place in a way to expand the ideas to other people and how it kind of starts from the the, the individual, like the, it's literally like a ripple effect yes. from there. Yes. So. I think that's the key is that it starts at the individual. It's a, it's a very individualistic movement because in order to... It, every, every major group is made up of individuals. So everybody has to be aware of their own wants and desires. And if you want something good, you want peace, you want prosperity, you want uh, family values, it starts with you. That's where it has to start. You cannot grab a whole bunch of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and expect them all to adopt those philosophies without you as an individual being willing to adopt that yourself. So that's a big thing. And I think that women in general are not attracted so much to this movement because when we think of individualism, I think we are, we think selfish. We think, you know, we're just being selfish. We're not taking care of others. And women are very much about how we relate to other people more so than maybe men are. You know, we are, we're always thinking about, you know, especially as a mom myself, you know, I have to think about my kids, I have to think about my husband, and I have to, and I'm a nurse, so I have to think about my patients. And I don't necessarily always take the time to think about myself. But I do know that if I want a better world, if I want my children to, you know, to be not brats, and to think about others themselves, you know, I have to be have to model that for them. So I have to adopt that viewpoint myself. So it's going to be really hard, I think, trying to get these concepts across, but it's really important, I think, because I think if we live in a world now where the mainstream media wants to tell us that there's so much going on that is bad, like we have mass shootings, quote unquote, we have, you know, race problems in this country, but nobody wants to sit down and take the time to think on, the, on their own, well, what am I doing about these issues myself? So that's a big thing. It always starts with you you know, as an individual, that's the big key to the, to the voluntary liberty movement. The idea of it starting with the individual or it being the responsibility first and foremost of the individual. God, that's scary. Like how, how could anybody do it on their own? I know people like to to say that I can do it on my own. Like, oh, and women these days, like they're independent and I'm a feminist and I can do it on my own. I don't need men. I don't need anybody. I just got my girls. I got my I got my good vibes, and it's like, great, have those. You need those. Everybody needs a support system. But in order for that support system to be as good and as strong as one might want it to be in order to do all the things that you think, like, that a government should do, it Mm -hmm. really has to start with strong, self-aware individuals. And, okay, so that means none of us are perfect, right? Because I think it, like, brings it back to... Realizing that everybody's human. We're all human, and I've got to work on forgiving myself for things all the time, but it's a constant battle, but I think it's the most worthwhile one that there is, and it's going to be the one that if you can face face those demons every day of your own, like you're going to be able to face those otherworldly demons, those things outside yourself, be able to help other people besides yourself. But if you don't mm-hmm. have that, if you don't have that stuff on lockdown with your own self, like you are going to be absolutely useless. And so that's why I don't think I like I, as a philosophical anarchist, anarchy, 
without rulers, I don't think anybody else should be ruling over me because I don't think I should be ruling over anybody else. So right. it's like, it sounds like a very uh, scary concept, but it comes back to I th- what I think is bas- very basic ideas and very basic principles and um, clean cut. It's efficient. So like, I'm the, I'm absolutely the person of shortest distance between two points is a line. I will get there. I will find it. So it's not as scary as it, it's not as scary as it seems. Yeah, I think, I think that's the key thing. We have a lot of young people who are very open to the idea of socialism and communism. They view the individualistic idea as, you know, you're only going to take care of yourself. You're not, it's not going to come back to where you're going to take care of those less fortunate. Who else, who will do that job if we don't have government step in and do it for us? Because, you know, we're all selfish, right? So, but I think that there's a difference between selfishness and self-interest. You know, it's, you have to put your interests first. And if your interests are, and for some people it is like, you know, you want to take care of other people, but you want, like you say, you want to have a clean environment. That's self-interest because you live in that environment. So don't think about like what the air quality is supposed to be over India. Take care of your own community first. You know, maybe just even your own yard. Do you mow your own lawn? I mean, do you recycle do you do things on your own first? And I think that that really isn't, I think a lot of people, when you put it to that perspective, I think a lot of people actually think that makes a lot of sense and they probably do those things. So I think that maybe it's just a matter of how, you know, you word those things to the, to people who are more open to the socialism, communism idea. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to help out people, but the problem is, how do you how do you go about doing that? Do you take money from people? Do you take things from other people and then redistribute that because that's considered theft? So how do you how do you get people to voluntarily give up their money to help the common good? You could do it by force by having the government come in and kick the door down, and make you do it. Or you could just, I don't know, learn how to be a good person and a nice person and convince people that maybe giving some a percentage of their money to your cause would help other people you you know that that's hard for people though i think is coming up with a way to convince people to give up their money or their time or their possessions that takes more work than it does to just say hey nancy pelosi why don't you uh write up a law that tells us how to tax more money from the government or from the people to give to the government for this whatever the main reason why we're doing it is just to maybe put a female perspective on from the, from our perspective on the Liberty movement and maybe how we can get the message across to more people, hopefully in a better way. Yeah. I'll also say, I guess, and it kind of bridges some other things we wanted to talk about, like, so maybe how and why I got here myself. Here I am. I work a overly (laughs) full-time job, but I love it. I love, I love my job to death. Like it is awesome. And I basically am queen boss at, two companies and so oh and I'm in the STEM field oh and nobody forced me to take any of these positions nobody forced me to go study biology I studied biology because I wanted to I was fascinated with the living world like I don't understand how people aren't but but, you know to each their own but so anyway like I pursued my own passion um, to want to do that and was just very lucky to have stumbled into that I could have definitely taken the easier route and maybe gone to be an English major no offense, English majors, still love you, but differences. 
God love it. You were able to go pick out your own major. But anyway, so like coming here and finding the Liberty Movement and finding like people like Mises. And so honestly, I kind of stumbled into this through a weird interest in economics, which I never thought I was going to like. But like the idea of human action, that this is how like the world naturally kind of unfolds. And it just seemed to, it really hit home with me. Again, I mentioned, like, I'm just, I like consistency. I like the path of least resistance. And so I think it, it all just ended up, the more I learned, the more I listened to, like, Tom Woods, bless his heart, he really got me. He really got me as far as I am. Him and Dave Smith, he uh, kind of threw a lot of cold water in my face and made me realize any inconsistencies in my foreign policy views because... It really is about, you know, how the world is supposed to naturally work itself out. And it does. And like the free market, when it is actually the free market and unimpended by state control and then like lobbyists, lobbyists and cronyism, the free market is literally like the natural world. And so it just it fit with me and it makes sense and kind of helped me stay sane. It helped me not pick sides. It helped me not freak out about what I, I'm sorry, but I consider minor issues versus like grand scale. How are we treating people, you know, in other countries? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when I realized uh, just how destructive our foreign policy is and has been for God knows how long, at least a hundred years. Thanks, Woodrow Wilson. And I imagine it started before that, but I'm not the historian here, but kind of realizing that big picture stuff, it kind of fixed any outrage meters in me that might've been askew and worried about people's, you know, think about things that people are complaining about this week. Who's releasing releasing their tax information? Okay, I want to know about how many civilians died last week in, in which foreign countries. How many? Because we're in plenty of them. So while obviously, like, those are very heavy subjects to have uh, weighing down on me, I just think, like, being as aware as possible, you know, getting that, what is it, the red pill? Yeah. Getting red-pilled and seeing... Honestly, the atrocities that our government does on a daily basis, and most of it without the public's knowledge, and then like the public that is aware of it is a kook or a crazy person like me, it's just, you know, it's really disheartening sometimes, but I think it, it reminds me that my heart is in the right place, and I really do want what's best for everybody, and so, you know, if I can just like get my attentions, intentions across as such but also be able to share the ideas that have led me there, the people and their ideas and the print. And like I said, it's very basic principles behind these. I want to save you all some trouble and some heartache and some mental stress because Lord, there is enough that is just going to be going on in your own life that you're going to have to deal with. So basically coming to this movement and coming to where I am and where I stand and how I deal with things on a day-to-day basis. It's like, it's like Harry Brown's uh, how, to, how I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. <laughs> yeah. It's, a lot of it is up to you, and it's up to your own mental state of mind. So I am here to sort of share that because that's what I, I want other people to be, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more happy to go about their day and be nice to people and fix problems that are bigger than ourselves. But in order to do that, we have to, we have to like ourselves and then we have to like to like each other. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to ask, you know, 
were you a Democrat or were you leaning in that direction before or were you or were you a conservative Republican? Or? Well, so I've always been registered as an independent because there was something just like I did not despite I don't know, I made it out of the public school system, not a Democrat, which is amazing because everything there is forcing you to be a Democrat and Republicans are evil. But, you know, like growing up, honestly, just there was nothing political going on in my household. Parents were not open about it. I mean, they didn't need to be. I don't know. It just wasn't at the forefront. But I registered as an independent because I liked that idea. I was like, no, I don't have a party. Neither of you just get me. I'm not joining either of your parties. I'm still registered as an independent, which sucks because Maryland is a closed primary. But I would love to go in and sabotage either side. And or promote the better primary candidate so that, like, the better voice ends up going to, you know, against the other party's candidate. Yeah. But, um, I can't do that here. Can't, yeah, so that's, that is what it is. But I think, like, me sticking to my principles, I feel better about that than, than joining. But, but if I were to say I leaned anyway, it would have been, like, I was uh, more of a conservative because I really did believe in the fact that the government, the idea that the government should be very, very small and um, do as little as possible. But then you kind of figure out, okay, well, what are the blind sides there? And what are, like, where are they really actually for big government? And or when are they quiet about big government? And so I kind of just had to get out of that camp and realize that I was a libertarian. And then, you know, for most people, the joke is that once you're a libertarian, it's about six months and then you're an ant <laughs> So in my heart, I am an ANCAP, and for those listening who have no idea what an ANCAP is, I'm not saying anything with cat, anarcho-capitalist, and so capitalism being the purest form of free market voluntary interactions, no, we do not live in a free market in the United States. We like to talk about it. Conservatives love to talk about it, and Democrats love to say that we're in it and it's evil, And but that's just not the case. Anyway, that's another episode entirely (laughs) that it goes back to the anarchy i do not think we should be ruled by other humans because humans are inherently flawed and that's just how it is and we have our limitations we have our flaws and imperfections but um we also have the capacity to do amazing things and i think that is ignored a lot of the time again we can only do those amazing things if we as individuals decide to do them individually and then together because we're all on the same page at that point. But we're not forcing each other to adopt another person's ideas. In, in mass, like, that doesn't work. It's never worked without violence. And why on earth would we want to continue down roads of violence? Right. It's 2019! <laughs> right. Insert, it's 2019 meme. <laughs> I'll guess I'll kind of talk about how, how I got started. It's very kind of similar to you, because I, I don't think I ever really was one way or the other. I remember in high school, I thought that I was, I thought I was a Democrat in high school. I thought I was going to grow up and I was going to be a Democrat because I, I hated government. And I thought that I really hated people telling me what to do. I know that's a shocker to most people, but I didn't, (laughs) I did not like being told what to do. And I thought, you know, I would look at other Democrats. I would look at, I would watch what I was saw on the news about the hippie movement and all that stuff. And I thought, yeah, I feel, I feel like that, like, get rid of the government. Nobody tell me what to do. I'm going to be free. And then I started actually at the end, I think it was my senior year, my government teacher 
at a public school, by the way, she gave us all a test to fill out and we answered all the questions. And I was, to my surprise, I thought I, I, you know, I was a Democrat or I at least was on the left side. Turned out I was actually conservative. So when I saw that, I was like, well, geez. That's interesting. I started to research more and more about what it meant to really be a conservative, what it meant to be a Republican. And I started thinking, yeah, you know, get rid of welfare, um, check. Government limitation, check. But there were still some other things that bothered me, like why are we so involved in other people's countries? I didn't like that so much. I grew up, my mom's best friend married a Lebanese man, and I was always friends with their family, and they live in, they live in Beirut still. So I kind of got an idea just from kind of over listening, you know, at the dinner table, you know, their, their issues, because as you can imagine, Lebanon is pretty much right there in the middle of all the conflict all the time between um, what's going on in Syria and, you know, Jordan and Syria is right there next to Lebanon. And then they, they've got refugees from Palestine that come there too. And this is like in the, uh, 80s, I think I'm thinking of. But her, the little girl that I was friends with, her dad, uh, he he was an engineer. Yeah, he's an engineer. And he would, you know, help rebuild the city every time something happened. So, you know, there's always just wars going on over there. And I remember one that happened like, what was it? Like in the early 2000s? I mean, they were just bombed. Hezbollah just like bombed the crap out of uh, Beirut. And they lost power. And, you know, when all of that was done, her dad was the one that helped rebuild the city. So I was I grew up very sympathetic, actually, to Muslims and to Arabs. So that was that kind of goes in direct conflict with the Republican viewpoint (laughs) on, on foreign policy. It really didn't I didn't have a conflict with that until recently, honestly, because, you know, I'd studied a lot about Arabic people and their culture when I was in college. I actually learned a little bit, learned how to write a little bit of Arabic. One of my professors had lived in Egypt. So I got a pretty good education from him about what it was like to, you know, what Arab people are like. I got the opportunity in um, the early 2000, like actually in 2000, to go to the Middle East. That was a year before Mm. 9-11 happened. And I got to meet a lot of people there and the truth is Arab people are actually very nice at least at that time they were and they weren't as they didn't hate Americans so much at that point I don't think they have a very big a very good philosophy of like they're going to view you as their friend first they're going to they want they when you come into their country a lot of times you'll be asked to come to a person's house and have tea if you refuse that's very rude you know, so I mean, they're noted, they have a high, you know, just they love family, they have a high respect for that. If you like when we went to I actually went to Syria. So when I, one of the things that I learned was that Syrian women, they want to know about your family, they want to know if you have any kids, they want to, they want to know about that, because to them, that is so important. The way that they are, they portray Arabs today is very different. I mean, there's some truth to it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There is some truth to some of the sexism and some of the way that they treat Christians and homosexuals. homosexuals. Jinx. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They, uh, they, there is some truth to that. 
but I think at the but I think the key thing is that we've lost as Americans as a we just have forgotten to first look at and maybe this was never a concept that our government ever wanted us to know. But we, we, we have to look at these people as people first. And, you know, when you go to their country, you don't go in there wearing like a tank top and tight shorts and, you know, stiletto heels or anything. I mean, that's just common sense. You go in there and you respect their culture. You wear, you cover up, you know, but they're going to treat you like you're their friend first. That's their, that is part of their culture. You know, it's the Bedouin culture in general is, is like that. And they're all descendants of Bedouins. They all tell you that, especially in Syria and Jordan, they'll tell you they're all descendants of Bedouins, which I don't know if you know what a Bedouin is, but they're basically the, they're the tribal people that live in tents and mm. they move around a lot. So <clears throat> that is something that's a source of pride for them, actually. It's kind of like if you live in East Tennessee, like I do, and you tell everybody that you're Cherokee, <laughs> everybody says they're Cherokee in East Tennessee, even though they don't, they're not. But that's like a source of pride to say you're like one something percent Cherokee. Even like one, one thousand twenty fourth percent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every bit counts, right? Yeah. Drop of blood, buddy. But yeah, I think that I got, I think my perspective, what made me go towards the libertarian movement, movement was definitely when Ron Paul ran for president the first time. The first time. That really got me. I thought he made a lot of, uh, I mean, I was like, I've been thinking this for so long, you know, just been keeping it to myself. He's talking about all this anti-war stuff. We shouldn't be going over there. And what are we doing? Why do we have, why do we even over in Germany or Japan, you know, we're not at war with these people. So why do we have a presence there? So I really thought that a lot of the stuff he talked about really, really made sense. And I'm a very, I try to be, you know, I'm also in the STEM field. And uh, before I was a nurse, I actually was a therapist. I worked with people who are mentally ill. So I, I, I was already thinking, trying to be analytical and a, a logical thinker in the first place. And everything he said made logical sense to me. It just did not make sense to keep going down the road that we were doing. And it was really uh, frustrating to, you know, see how the media just tried to tear him apart but that was my first you know I was in my early 20s so I mean that was my first introduction I think to just how the media can really they, they just they aren't concerned with the truth and getting that information out to you I learned that r during the Ron Paul stuff but I also had been another introduction that really solidified it for me is when I went to India for the first time and I read no, maybe it was the second time I went to India. I think it was the second time because I went with my mom. I, I brought a book along with me. It was Give Me a Break by John Stossel. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that pretty much right there, I would recommend that book to everybody. If you're a brand new libertarian, read that because that will, he does a pretty good job of making it clear to you, like what the difference is and the difference between being a, a Republican or Democrat and then what a libertarian thinks. And he talks about his struggle when he had his awakening. So it's kind of cathartic too. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> now it's all, um, it's always interesting to f hear about other people's awakenings and how they get there. And it, it's like a little map, you know, like a journey. And so I'm always yeah. along for the ride for a good story. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's always interesting. I think you can tell a lot about a person in the liberty movement when you hear their, you know, their conversion story, you know. And everybody's got their own. Absolutely unique. And that leads me kind of to the next step. Our third goal, really, that we're going to talk about is, you know, what what we are most passionate about in this movement. Foreign policy. What are we doing overseas? Like the stories you were just relaying about... um, the people you grew up knowing. It's just horrific to hear about that. And everybody here is removed from that. And I think a lot of that is like purposefully constructed as such. We, so we don't have the draft, we don't have the draft anymore. It's not mandatory to go over there. But where's the same outrage from the Vietnam War era when TV cameras were first over there? Oh, guess what? We're not watching those drones, those drone strikes. We're not watching that. And I think that's all all a part of it like why on earth would you trust anybody on tv when the mainstream media is all in bed with the military industrial complex and those people like boeing sponsors these shows mm-hmm. how on earth could you trust these people that it it benefits them to for us to to be have our money stolen from us as individual taxpayers and then go to these people to bomb other people and so like that's my biggest thing tax day came up and this is like why would i want to pay any money to these evil evil overlords of ours who seriously just like set up all cross all the d's and t's and dots dot the i's to give very evil people money whether they're foreign or domestic you know so i think that's probably my biggest most passionate thing that like if anybody wants to get me started on something small and minute like i said you know what being introduced to these ideas has given me is that outrage meter it like so my outrage is it kind of keeps me calm and level-headed and my demeanor pretty generally okay like nobody knows my opinion most of the time until unless they really ask unless you really want to know because chances are i'll probably divert your attention to something that matters more like why are we killing brown people in other countries right Agreed. And that kind of that's kind of my thing, too, in a way, but more in the domestic end. Like, you know, I feel like we as a nation, we care a lot about race, probably too much, a little bit about race. Like we think that if we're born a certain color, like we're just going to have a really horrible life and nothing good will ever happen to us. And and if you're born with a lighter shade of skin, you have all this privilege that you just need to acknowledge and you need to you know, apologize for constantly. And I mean, it kind of goes to gender too. I mean, you know, if you're a white male, you obviously have everything great and you need to just sit back and, you know, apologize com- all the time for being something that you were born with and had no control over. <laughs> and I feel like uh, in this country, we have a lot more opportunity than, um, you know, like I said, I've been to the Middle East and I've been to India I've seen countries where people, the the countries where, you know, they're pretty homogenous in race and they live a lot worse lifestyle than we do, especially in India, where the, you know, the government is very hyper-regulated there and has, you have to basically fill out 30 forms just to, you know, start a business over there. They don't have clean drinking water. There are people that literally live on the side of the road. It's not a it's not an uncommon occurrence for children to get hit by cars all the time because nobody even though they have they have rules of speed and how to stop and all that stuff nobody follows it 
the bottom line being that we actually live a pretty good life in this country, mm-hmm. regardless of whatever Absolutely. race you are. The poorest people in this country still probably live at the top 1% in certain areas of India. So I'm like you, I just kind of look at people sometimes and I'm just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I can't relate to that because I just have seen it completely differently. And I've, I think that most people, they don't get out of the country. You know, they don't get to see a third world country and they don't understand what they're complaining about. So that's my, my, my passion really is the thing about the voluntary movement, I think, is that it's something that can help everybody. Once we start adopting that and thinking like that, like first off, you're not a victim. Second off, the color of your skin does not dictate your lifestyle or what you're going to go through. That's, a, that's all individual. It depends on you. And um, once we can get that message across to everybody, I think that, you know, I actually think that we could have a, a much better society. That's how I see it. You know, when we all stop trying to blame everybody else or feel like a victim all the time, we actually can contribute back to our society in a more positive way. So that's my that's my two cents on that. Definitely. And I'm like happy to remind anybody of any color that like they are important. You know, it's not the superficial. You are important. You matter. You know, like black lives matter. Yes. Yes, they do. So actually treat each and every one of those individual black people as the respected individual that they should be. Right. I Like, I'm a humanist first. Mm-hmm. Like, I am so in awe with the human race and human life forms. Like, there's plenty of people I don't like. Plenty of things I wish people wouldn't do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm pro-human. Right. And that makes me able to accept other people. The ones who don't look like me, who don't live like me, who probably don't even like me. You know, like, as a Christian, I'm supposed to love everybody. And, you know, things are, it's, it's a difficult concept, but I think that's the compassion. You know, some people might have fake compassion or they virtue signal that they have compassion, but it's like, is, how honest of the, of compassion is that? So, right. while it takes, takes a lot of energy, so you gotta be... <laughs> that's why I keep my outrage meter in check, you know? Like, if I'm going to be able to share that love and compassion to other people, I have to be able to keep things in perspective and remember what matters to, like, individual humans. Well, and I think that's the key is, you know, just the bottom line is, is at the end of the day, you know, we're all, we all have our own individual life experiences. It doesn't matter, you know, what the color of your skin is or where you were born, or what religion you grew up with, or any of that stuff, you know, you go, you wake up in your bed, and you go to sleep in your bed every night, and you have memories of your day that are unique to you. So it's all going to have to come back to, you know, are you going to take control of your life and do something with that? Or are you going to sit back and just hope that somebody else does something you want them to do to make your life better? I, I personally would prefer to take control of that myself and control that myself. It doesn't, I, it doesn't do good to sit around and wait and hope that maybe society will change so that I can finally have free health care or, I don't know, that people will stop being so racist, <laughs> whatever that means. That's such a broad, and it's just an abstract concept that you can't control. Just worry about what you can control. That's it. 
you know? I would say so. The only person you have control over is yourself. Amen, sister. I feel like that's a good note to wrap it on, you know? Like, here we are just starting yep. out. Um, two gals, a couple microphones. We've got a d- disclaimer. I've got two cats, so um, there's that. And I have two children <laughs> and a cat. And a cat. And a husband, so. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, when, in future episodes, we'll talk more about news, things that are going on in the news, and, and we'll kind of relate that back to the liberty movement. So we may talk about some articles that found we've, you know, found interesting throughout the week. Um, maybe that other people brought to our attention that they'd like us to talk about yes. as well. Yep, that's a good idea. But open to ideas, open to thinking differently, always open for a good conversation. And, you know, I think that's what we're here to do. Well, we're going to end it here, so... Keep it voluntary. Keep it peaceful. I'm here to have fun with you, Jesse. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, and we'll end it here. Bye. Bye.